we're going to be continuing in a series that we started several weeks ago entitled Mending Fences. And you know, a couple of things, we've learned quite a bit. Has it been blessing you? Have you been tuning in? Man, if you've missed it, maybe you need to kind of go back. Go back to our YouTube page. Check it out. Let it minister to your heart. Let it speak to your life. I believe that God is building something great in each and every one of us. And so one of the things that I said over the last couple of weeks is that a fence, by definition, is a structure. It's a structure that serves as an enclosure. It also serves as a barrier. It's a boundary. It's also a means of protection. It provides prevention. It also provides some confinement. And so the thing about it is that we all have fences. We all have parameters. We all have boundaries for our lives. And these boundaries provide coverage. They prevent certain things in our lives. They also confine us in different areas of our lives if we're not careful. And so while our fences can keep people out of different areas of our lives, while our fences can keep different things out of our areas of our lives, our fences can also work against us by keeping us stuck in areas of our lives. That makes sense? So I have a question for you as we start digging in here today. And this can be good or bad, right? What are you covering with your fences? What are you protecting with your fences, with your boundaries, with your parameters, right? What are you preventing with your fences? Also, what are you confining within your fences? As I said, it could be good or bad. Let me give you an indication from the scriptures that we've been looking at over the last several weeks, and we're going to go back to it. And I want you to see what the scriptures say about what should be within the parameters that you set for your life. Psalm 122, starting at verse 6, says... Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This isn't just speaking about a location. This isn't just speaking about the people of Israel back in those days. This is speaking about the people of God. And listen, whether you know Christ or not, here's one thing that we know from the Scriptures. God knows you. God loves you. And therefore, God has good intentions for your life. So it starts off by saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. You know, fences are necessary. Parameters, boundaries are necessary. You need to provide coverage. You need to prevent, protect. You need to prevent access and in certain areas of your life. And you also need to ensure that you keep some things. You can find some things within your boundaries. But the thing is, your fences are covering your true needs if you're building fences around hurts, around insecurities, around fears, around resentments, around traumas, around judgments, around negative thought processes. Your fences are preventing access to your healing if you're building your fences this way. And that you're also confining yourself within the walls that you've built. Let me ask you this. Do you actually feel free in life? Or do you feel stuck? That says a lot. See, your fences are meant to cover you with peace and security. Your fences are meant to prevent the corruption and theft of your peace and security. Your fences are meant to keep peace and security intact in your life. 
But if that's seeping out, if you're losing that, if you're giving that away, if you're racked with fears, if your mind is going places, if you're constantly striving and struggling and grinding it out, you got to consider what's really going on. So here's a question as we get started here. How is it that someone who God desires to live in peace and security, how is it that someone can start there and stray from there Or how is it that we can get to a place in life where we feel like no peace and no security is somehow still life? The scriptures give us indication of that in Proverbs 24, starting at verse 30. We've been looking at this over the last several weeks. We're going to keep looking at this because there's a lot of meat in here. It says, I went past the field of a slugger. This is simply a lazy person, a lax person. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. You know, the sluggard is an actual person that Solomon observed. Solomon says, I was walking past the field of this person. And here's what I noticed about this person. They went to sleep at the wheel of life. (laughs) And look at what happened. He notes that this person slowly and steadily went on a downward spiral path that led him to destruction and loss by way of what he allowed to happen in his life over time. He was allowing things. Listen, this man had a field. This man had a vineyard. This man had built stone walls. In other words, this tells us that this man started with a plan for success. He had intentions for his life. He was on a path going somewhere. And we find in Proverbs 24 that all this potential had gone to waste by way of what he allowed. What he allowed. See, your field does not become overgrown with weeds without your permission. You have to let them grow. Isn't that true? Right? Your life cannot be overtaken by thorns unless you invite them by way of granting permission for them to remain in the first place. A thief cannot take from you unless you remain ignorant of him by choice. Or you just allow him just like the slugger did. See, today I'd like to invite you to a personal time, an intimate time, in reflection with God from his word. And I'd like to talk to you on the topic, just say no. Just say no. Just say no. You know, back in the 80s, there was this, this phrase was coined. And it was used uh, to combat this idea of acceptance of illegal drugs. And it was everywhere. It was on billboards. It was on commercials. They would fry an egg and say, this is your brain. 
And then they'd crack the egg and put it in the, in the pan and say, this is your brain on drugs. And then they'd say, just say no, just say no, just say no, just say no. So much so that it began to seep into some lives and some people actually said no. Now, some people actually said yes. But that's not the point. My point with that is simply this, that the word no is powerful. Can you imagine what the sluggard's life could have looked like in Proverbs 24 if he had said no to the weeds? If he had said no to the thorns? If he had said no to the undisciplined desires and to the decay of his walls, the breaking down of his walls? Could you imagine what would happen if this guy said, no, that is not allowed on my field? Let me ask you this. What would your life look like today if you just said no? No to certain people. No to certain opportunities that are actually traps. No to certain desires. No to lies. No to the enemy. I guarantee you that you would reap very different results than those of the slur. Can I say something to you? This is just one of those moments where I just got to say this, just by inspiration. If you find yourself dissatisfied with God, just know it's because you said yes to something else. You said yes to something else. You're saying yes to something else. If this has lost its flavor, its touch... If it doesn't move you the way it did, it's because you're moving in a different direction. Well, anyway, let's get back to the text. That was free. Notice that the sluggard said yes to the weeds. He said yes to the thorns. He said yes to the breaching of his walls, which resulted in him opening the door and saying, Welcome, poverty! Welcome scarcity, you can stick me up, you can take whatever you want from my life. See, the sluggard started with a problem from the beginning. He said yes to everything. Oh, he built boundaries. He started with great intentions, man, look, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got these fields, And in those days, fields were for more than just flowers and to look at your grass. Fields represented your livelihood. They were for crop. They were for your animals. So this guy had fields. He had vineyards. Guess what? This guy had a thriving opportunity available to him to have a business, to reap from, to enjoy. This guy, (laughs) this sluggard. He had walls meant to protect what he intended. But this guy did not know how to say no to the very things that brought destruction to his life. And let me just say this to you plainly. The word no is a good thing. Sometimes you just have to say no. And so it's for this reason that we must learn the power of the word no. It's a boundary. It's a fence. And we must understand the power of this word no so that we can live with power and maintain healthy boundaries 
and ensure that we keep the security and the peace that God has given us. We can do that today. Amen? So the Bible says that it gives us a great example of the life of Jesus. Man, this guy had an amazing ministry. The Savior of the world. He walked in the fullness of deity while being a man. He walked with authority. And the power that he uh, exerted then still is working until this very day. Bringing about change in the lives of many. Can anybody testify to that? I can. But I want you to consider something that at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Now I'm not talking about what Isaiah records back in heaven when God said, whom shall I send? And he got up and said, send me. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about when he started his earthly ministry, the foundation that it was built on started with the word no. Let me show you that in Scripture. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he for 40 days was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So I want you to get this picture. Jesus has been gone. He's been in the desert for 40 days. Now, the enemy did not send him there to be tempted. That's not what the Scripture says. Study that. That's not what it says. It says he was led by the Spirit into the desert, and the devil showed up and tempted him for 40 days. Read it. Not my opinion. Not that it matters anyway, but he's there for 40 days. And it says that he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice God wasn't testing him. The enemy was. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So what we see is that from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there was resistance. Resistance being set up to what God had commissioned him to. Listen, Jesus was commissioned to walk the earth as the express image of God in bodily form. He was commissioned to carry and convey the authority of God on the earth, to release that on the earth. He was commissioned to exemplify our need to completely follow God's will and rely on him. Jesus himself said, I do nothing of myself, only what I see and hear the Father do. 
Jesus said that. And so all of these were tested by the devil, and to each one Jesus replied, no, 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 I'm not doing that, no. His no provided a boundary, a fence that the enemy understood, I can't cross this. And therefore he said, I got to go. You see how powerful no is? See how powerful no is? This no set a boundary for Satan that he could not cross. This no kept Jesus at the center of God's will. This no prepared the way for his earthly ministry. So take a moment to think about areas in your life where boundaries have been crossed because you haven't said no. And just consider that in not saying no and just saying maybe, who are you opening doors to? So what can we learn about the power of saying no? What can we learn about no as a boundary? The first thing I want to leave you with here is that if you're going to say yes to God, you must be comfortable with saying no to others. I'm going to say that again. If you are going to say, yes, God, yes, I will follow you, yes to your plans, yes to what you want in my home, yes to the healing that you want to bring in my heart, yes to your blessing, yes to your purposes, yes to the doors that you, that you have to open up for me. If you're going to say yes, you have to be comfortable with saying no to other people, to other things. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Go ahead and tell somebody no. Go ahead and look at somebody here and say no. Look at somebody else and say no. That's kind of weak. Let's try it on this side. I want you to just say with me no. Ready? One, two, three. No. Wow, that was pretty good. Okay. All right, let's, let's move over to this side. One, two, three. Let's say no. That was weak, guys. These guys, let's try this. Let's do this together. Ready? One, two, three. No! Wow, that was great! Isn't it interesting how easy it is to say no? Let me ask you a question. Then why is it so hard to mean it sometimes? Why is it so hard to mean it? See, we all said no with such ease. We can all say no. But the reason why it's so hard to say no and not mean it is because we lose sight of the bigger picture of what we're saying, what we're declaring, and the boundary that we're setting when we say no. You know, by saying no to the enemy's various temptations, Jesus was also saying yes to God. You ever thought about that, that when you say no... You're also saying yes. When you close one door, you are opening another. Now, let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Where are you saying no to God? And what are you saying yes to? Man, that's good. Isn't that good? Man, that is great news, man. 
That's challenging. Yes. Look, no, listen. We should get excited about the truth. Not beat up, not condemned. We should get excited about the truth. Let me show you the power of no for Jesus' ministry. Luke 4, 14, the next verse after the enemy leaves him. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in what? In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread all throughout the countryside. Listen, Jesus said no and it opened up the door for such a release, such a power, such an anointing. Such a, such, such, a, such a move of God. Can you imagine where we would be if Jesus had said, Nah, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want to do that part of what you say, God. I want to do this part, just this part. This, this one is easy. Sound familiar? See, Jesus understood that in saying no to the temptations put before him, he was also saying yes to God. He was saying yes to God's word as his primary source for life. He was saying yes to God as the center of his worship above the promise of riches and power. Somebody needs to hear that today. Above the promise of money, above the promise of accolades, above the promise of progression, above the promise of your exaltation. He was saying yes to his complete dependence upon God and not his own. He was saying no to taking matters into his own hands and doing something God had not called him to. You know, if we're not careful, we can do that. You know what that looks like? This is what I want to do. God, what do you think about what I am going to do? There's no inclusion of God there in the first place. None. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great for us to consider the reality of how we sometimes make choices? Come on now. We got to be real. Right? And so he was saying yes to his complete dependence on God and all that God had called him to. And in the same way, by saying no to unhealthy relationships. Saying no to certain boundaries that lead us to compromise. Saying no to evil thoughts, selfish desires. Saying no to unhealthy beliefs, unhealthy environments, unhealthy habits. We're also saying yes to God's best. Say this with me. No! no. Now I want you to think about where that no needs to apply so that you can begin to say yes to what God wants for your life. The second thing I want to leave you here is that sometimes the best way to express that you care is to say no. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the best way to express that you care is to say no. You know, oftentimes this word no is viewed as so negative. Oh, it's just a dirty word, right? It's a dirty word because it's not the answer we're looking for when we're making a request. It's a dirty word because it's not the answer we generally want to give because we get concerned about people perceiving us as rude or mean or uncaring. But sometimes, no is the answer you have to give. 
It's the answer you have to give if you care for God. It's the answer you have to give if you care for people. Listen closely. It's the answer you have to give if you truly care for yourself. You know, in ministry, it's very easy to get pulled in many different directions. You know what I've learned over the years in ministry as a shepherd? Sheep bite. Sheep bite. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I will not compromise what God has called me to. I will not go with every wind and doctrine. I will not be moved by every good idea. That might be a good idea, but is it a God idea? No is no. No, we're not doing that. And you know what? If you get offended, God bless you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. I love you. But the boundary has to be clear. Not just for me, for each and every one of us. It has to be. And so the scriptures record a conflict that arose between Abraham and his nephew Lot. Right? Genesis 13, starting at verse 5, says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their tent possession, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time, and so Abram said to Lot, let's, have, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Abraham loved his nephew Lot, so much so that he shared the blessing that God had placed upon him by bringing Lot with him, even when he wasn't supposed to. And Lot benefited greatly, as we saw. He increased in possessions. You know, back in those days, herds represented prosperity. So Lot was doing well in association with Abraham. But eventually, Abraham realized that they could not continue together and sustain their relationship and their needs at the same time. He also understood that he could not follow God's lead while inviting the strife and division among them to remain. And so, what did Abraham do? Abraham said no. This no brought a wedge between them. Now, get this, even before they separated, there was already a wedge there. There was conflict between them that was now transcending to their herdsmen, which was probably now affecting their households, which now was creating a whole, a whole vibe, a whole environment. Right? There's division, there's conflict, there's chaos. All this is going on. And Abraham says, no, this can't continue to be the case. But up until that point, nobody was doing anything about it. It was just brewing and stewing, 
growing. There was a bunch of moaning and groaning and, and complaining probably and, and infighting. And eventually, Abraham saw that he had to draw a line, that he had to put a stop to the potential for bigger, for bigger problems. And guess what he did? He said, no more. Basta. Hasta aquí llegué. I'm done. It's over. I'm drawing the lines. You will no longer cross my boundaries. Abraham's no was not a rejection of Lot. This is important. Because, you know, sometimes when people tell us no, we take it personal. And sometimes when we say no, people take it personal. Abraham's no was not a rejection of Lot, but it was a rejection to the quarreling that existed between them. It was a rejection of the ripple effect that it was affecting among the herdsmen and in their entire company. It was a rejection of the irreparable consequences that loomed for their relationship. It was a rejection of the potential derailment of God's promise to Abraham. Now here's the thing. The scriptures in, in the book of Romans clearly record in Romans, in Romans 4 that Abraham is the father of our faith. And I want you to consider that had Abraham not said no, where might we be today? See, Abraham understood that the blessing upon him was to transcend from generation to generation unto the whole world. Let me ask you a question. Where, would, where will your children be? Where will your future be? Where will your career be? Where will your calling by God be? If you don't say no. Parents, if you don't say no now, don't cry later. Don't cry later. If you don't like what you're seeing in your marriage... If you don't like what you're seeing in the way your children are responding to authority, how they're responding to you, how they're responding to God, my friend, I've got great truth for you. You said yes in an area where you should have said no. Now, don't beat yourself up if you're on the other side of the fence now and you're not liking what you're getting. Because you know what? Say this with me. No! You can start saying no today. You can start saying no today. Now, you may get a little bit more resistance because some things have been allowed over time. But the best time to say no is always now. Right now. From this point forward, this is the boundary. Just like Abraham, he had allowed certain things. But there came the point where he said no. See, Abraham said no because he cared for Lot. Abraham said no because he cared about God's plan. Abraham said no because he cared about everyone connected to them. Abraham said no because he cared for himself. How about this? Maybe it's time to start caring for yourself instead of trying to appease people. Well, that's good news. Next thing I want to leave you with is that the best way to learn to say no to others is to first learn the art of saying no to yourself. 
Let me say that again. The best way to learn to say no to others is to first learn the art of saying no to yourself. You know, the reason why we struggle to remain disciplined in setting healthy boundaries with others is because we're not disciplined about setting healthy boundaries for ourselves first. Jesus was a master at the art of self-discipline. We see that throughout his temptation. Listen, even right before he was betrayed and crucified, the scripture records that Jesus was in the garden garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, he says to God, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't afraid at the crucifixion. Jesus was in complete relationship with the Father, and up until that point, that had been so. But upon becoming sin and going to the cross on our behalf, Jesus would become the very thing that we were. And as a result, he would become separated from the Father. And thus he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to be separated from you. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There was discipline there. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul talks to us a little bit about this area of saying no to ourselves. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown... That will not, I'm sorry, they, um, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. This is what he says. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, I'm not wasting my time. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body. And make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, Paul understood this same principle. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us that boundaries must first be set for ourselves. When he says, I beat my body, you know what he's saying in the, in, in the Greek? He's saying, I discipline these desires, this body. I put them in check. In other words, oh, I just feel like eating this. I'm going to have three quarts of it. That's just following your body. Oh, you know what? I just think that today's a great day to talk to that woman that I've been looking at for the last six months. No. See, it takes self-discipline. It takes bringing this body He literally says, I beat my body. (laughs) See, Paul understood that if he was not disciplined, it would affect his ministry and it would affect the prize that God had laid up for him. There's a prize for you, not just way all yonder in the sweet by and by. Listen, eternity began the day you were born for you. It's always been in existence. But where you go and what you do with that is contingent upon how you're living even today. 
You can enjoy the goodness of God, the blessings of God, right? And so God teaches us through this man that when we don't place disciplines on our carnal desires, bad habits, faulty thinking, etc., that they disqualify us from the prize. Could it be that your breakthrough... Could it be that the door of opportunity that you've been seeking, that you've been asking for, could it be that the ability to hear God's voice is waiting on you to say no in an area of your life? Could it be? See, don't expect to subject sinful appetites if you can't even subject your appetite. What you do with this body is a reflection of what you do in your spirit. Jesus said, here's the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Watch this as yourself. So if we're to walk in love, if we're to love God, could it be that we're also supposed to love ourselves? That takes discipline. Don't expect to share love with others when you aren't Discipline about loving yourself. Don't expect to be a change agent for Christ in this world if you're not willing to be disciplined with the changes he's calling you to employ in your life right now. You know, Scripture calls us to crucify the flesh with its evil desires. You know what it doesn't call us to do? To pacify it. I think about pacifying wayward thinking, ungodly thinking, ungodly ways, bad habits. I think of it like when my granddaughter's crying, and you know what we do? We pull the bobo. You know what I know about bobos? For you who are Hispanic, you understand where I'm coming from. I'll explain to you who don't. Bobos are for bobos. You know what a bobo is? A bobo is a fool. I don't know why we call pacifiers in Spanish bobos. Some people do anyway. My point with that is simply that sometimes we are pacifying evil thinking. We're pacifying desires that are wayward and contrary to the word of God. We're pacifying, we're excusing ideas, plans. Oh, you know, but we love each other. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to be living together outside of marriage. Well, let's talk about it. Let's not be bobos. Right? Let's consider the truth. Come on now. Let's not pacify this. See, when you pacify, when you allay, when you assume, when you soothe these things, when you say, it's okay, I'm just human. It's okay, God still loves me. It's okay not to, to, to not be okay. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus paid too high a price for us to coddle evil desires and faulty thinking. You know what the scripture says? Crucify it. Crucify it. Kill it. Don't pacify it. Don't make excuses for it. Isn't that great news? Man, that's awesome. Come on now. The last point I want to leave you with here, it got kind of quiet in here. I know, I know, I know. You're just thinking about it, right? I get it. 
The last point I want to leave you with here is simply this. Be mindful of people's reactions when you say no. You know, in a perfect world, people would love you after you said no to them, but how many of you know we don't live in a perfect world, right? People get offended when you say no, when you draw boundaries. Well, let me tell you something. What are we supposed to do when people get offended when you say no? Titus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul says to Titus, Be, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. Watch this. After that, have nothing to do with them. So Paul here was addressing the violation of boundaries that had been set within the church according to the gospel. He's saying this is the way we're supposed to be living. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But there were some people that were overstepping and excusing why they thought it was okay to violate the word. And so Paul says this. He says, here's how you deal with this. Talks to them the first time, right? Give them the opportunity to course correct. Talk to them a second time. And if they don't course correct, here's what he says. Cut them off. Cut them off. Can I tell you something? There's nothing insensitive or ungodly about that. It's love. Let me prove it to you. God loves us so much that he gives us his plan, but he also allows us to choose freely. And he says, okay, you want to choose that? That's your choice. I still love you. I'm still with you, but guess what? I'm not getting involved in that mess. My hand isn't on that. My blessing isn't upon that. My plan isn't residing there. I encourage you to pay attention when people react adversely to your boundaries when you say no. I'm going to tell you why. Because it shows you the edge of where their respect and care for you ends and the overstepping of your boundaries begins. Somebody gets offended, they get mad, they argue, they quarrel, they try to convince you contrary to the word of God. That tells you that they don't love you to begin with. You know what it also tells you and I? They don't belong in our boundaries to begin with. Cut them off. Let's stand here today. You know, no is a powerful word. Though it's small and it's short in comparison to so many other words, it's direct. It's firm. No is a complete sentence. That requires no justification or explanation. It has the power to save you. To protect you. To prevent violators from entering your life. To keep you from dangers that you and I can invite when we don't set healthy boundaries. Let me just say this because somebody needs to hear this. Maybe you started off saying yes and you realized that it was a mistake. It's time to say no. Do it quickly. Save yourself the heartache, the years of loss and hurt and pain. Save yourself the years of lament by saying no 
to rogue, faulty, violators, invaders, killers, thieves, armed men, the way scripture puts it, that come to wreck your life and say yes to all that God has for you. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.